0: This recording was performed, recorded, and edited all from Anchor. If you would like to support, feel free to find me on Anchor, Soapbox Off, and, you know, show your support however you would like. If not, you can always show support and donate just to help a sister out at Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash soapbox off. And you can always follow my Instagram, Soapbox Off. And if you'd like to give me some topics, feel free to drop some in my mailbox at SoapboxOff at gmail.com. Thank you so much for your support. Peace and love. lot of discussions a lot of thoughts that come through my head and because of that I have rant sessions I have vent sessions I have paragraph long worthy notes to give people so that is why you are now here with me melodic (laughs) and this is so buffed off And this is a podcast where we come with hard-hitting topics that are jaw-dropping, thought-provoking, thought-challenging. So come with your emotions on neutral and your critical thinking on high. So, let's not wait, let's not hesitate, let's get started now. Okay, you guys. So, as you know, this is still February, so happy Black History Month. And I also have to say, I am very shocked that I have made it past 20 episodes. Like, you guys don't understand. This is really just something that I wanted to do to kind of give a voice to people that want to think beyond just one way, that wanted to at least be open to just thinking in different avenues. Like of course you have your core ideas and you have your your core understandings based off of what you were taught so long ago, but just to take that moment to think beyond what you were given to to do more studying for yourself. I that's what this was all about. This was all about just taking a moment to hear different perspectives and I'm one of those people that I don't just go one way. I kind of want to hear different things or I at least want to give devil advocate type of like ideas, even though I have my feelings. And sometimes it does involve having to say something that people don't want to hear, like black people's votes count or. Trump may have had some good ideas, but he packaged them so horribly and so wrapped in hate that people can't even try to receive anything that you have to say, let alone your actions. Because some of those actions were not necessarily fond of people, especially people of color. And. Yeah, I mean. Perfect example build a wall. Why build a wall when you could have just said we need better immigration laws, regulations? There could have been so many other things that we could have done than just build a wall. It, anyway, that is not what I'm here to discuss. <laughs> I'm here to discuss this Black H- history segment that is going to be a true crime episode as well. I know that I want to do True Crime Tuesdays, but I figured since this is going to be something in history for African-Americans, why not make it something that is going to be in my weekly Sunday release? So maybe next month I'll go back to my once a month True Crime Tuesday episodes, but I felt like this would be good for a Sunday release. So just bear with me. Today, the story is going to be on George Stinney, George Stinney Jr., He was born October 12th, 1929 in Pinewood, South Carolina, 14 years old. Okay, let's picture it. 14 years old, 1944. This is a very intense racist era among the Jim Crow laws that are still very strong. The winter of said year. Nineteen forty-four. It is said that two little white girls, Mary Emma Thames, age eight, and Betty June Benneker, age eleven, they were found murdered in the woods near the Steny home. Well, near George Steny's home. Now, of course, he's only fourteen, so you know that this is a family home. This is where his parents are, his, him, his siblings, because he did have siblings. These two girls. In other articles, it goes into detail they were found beaten to death. In those other articles you might find that they say that the girls were beaten over their heads with railroad spikes and dumped in waterlogged ditches. Well, a waterlogged ditch, both of them. So I guess that they were both after whatever happened to them, they were dumped into waterlogged ditch into a waterlogged ditch. I keep wanting to say it in plural, but no, they were it was a joint thing. Uh, And of course, as you already know, because this is a racist era and this is a black male, these are two little black, uh, two little white girls. Sorry, that's a correction. Due to this happening, you have to know the color of their skin at this point in time. So I apologize if any of this is slightly triggering for you. Of course, as you already know, black history already has a lot of triggering past events that definitely keep black people tense and angry Hurt, trust shaky. (sighs) Okay, I'm sorry. Let me come back. George Steny's story. Now, these girls were found in a ditch, dead, brutally beaten. Just because of the location where the girls' bodies were found, which were near the George Steny's home, the police arrested this 14-year-old boy. Little evidence, not much support to say that this boy did it, but they arrested him anyways. Now I will tell you, some articles say that the parents were present. Others say that the the parents weren't present. I will say that the one publication, the Washington Post, which published an article about this case in 2014, they say that the parents were not present. And they also took a statement from Annie Ruffner, who is his sister. Yes, in 2014, they were able to get a statement from Annie Ruffner, his younger sister. It was his little sister. And Annie Ruffner stated that the police were looking for someone to blame it on. So they used my brother as a scapegoat. Now, you may be wondering where were the siblings in this time? because. The article that has Annie's uh, Annie's, uh, statement, they say that the parents weren't there. So in the same article, it says that Annie was hiding, I I believe, in a chicken coop near the home and that the other brother, the other brother was apprehended. I don't know if maybe he didn't get the same treatment as George because George may have I don't know what happened with George. This is just really sad. Um, Anyways, let me continue. So Annie hid and Annie survived what this all happened. And Annie lived to give a statement in 2014 to the Washington Post stating that they just needed somebody to blame it on. So they used her brother. The police questioned George without parents or an attorney present. The police stated that George admitted to the crime saying that he wanted to be intimate with one of the girls, but there is no written confession found and it was not provided. They say that in his trial. George's trial only lasted two hours. And it was no witnesses given. It was no witnesses called by the defense, if any. And this is the defense lawyer, so if you are privy to defense, this means that this attorney that will, or the lawyer that is in defense, this is the person that is supposed to help defend George Stinney's case. Like, it's supposed to help him out, but he didn't have any witnesses. He didn't use any witnesses. The, there was nothing really done. It, again, it only lasted two hours. So, after the court trial that only lasted two hours... This jury, which you already know, at the point in time, it was going to be an all-white male jury. So this jury, all-white male jury, took only 10 minutes to deliberate and find George guilty. So April 24th, George was sentenced to death by electrocution, according to Mark or Mark R. Jones in his literature. The defense who was... Uh, the defense, I guess he was a political figure of some sort. He did not choose to appeal the conviction. So this defense attorney didn't, he didn't really do much. He didn't call many people or any people per the per the articles that I found. He didn't ask anybody for to be a witness to help support or to defend George. And then you turn around and you also don't even appeal the conviction. Like, who is this guy? I had to look him up. So I googled it, and I found that it says that this was a court-appointed counsel. How biased is that? It was a court-appointed counsel, and it the court-appointed counsel, his name is Charles Plowden. And ironically, Charles Plowden was a tax commissioner campaigning for election for local office. So The court decided to select someone that's already trying to get his constituents to vote for him for a local office. And if this is a person that's going up for election for local office, you already know that this is also, again, a white male. I'm using assumption, but I'm just saying this is still the Jim Crow era. So I'm pretty sure nobody that is going up for election for local office is a person of color. Just being honest. Anyways, back to the story, George, five foot one, George, George, only weighing maybe at the most 90 pounds at the time, George, this 14 year old, skinny, five foot one, shorter than some average short girls, basically, he was executed June 16th and Nineteen ninety, no, nineteen forty-four. Sorry, at seven thirty p.m. Now, in preparation for his execution, they had to use a Bible as a booster seat for him because he was too small for the chair. Every time I read that part, it makes me tear up. Oh my gosh! <clears throat> now, I want to say that some of this comes from Wikipedia as well. His father could only approach the chair to say you know, a few words to his son before he was executed. Now, in in Wikipedia, I know for sure, it says that George didn't give any last words to the room. He didn't say anything. When given the opportunity to give his last words, this 14-year-old boy didn't have much to say. He just shook his head. So. In continuing the preparation, they put a belt over George's mouth as George began to sob. And then they covered his face. Now, what happens next is that the electrocution commences. And in the electrocution process, the covering, because, again, this is not this 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 contraption is not built for a child. So, this covering slips off of his face as he is electrocuted, revealing the tears falling from George's face. Now, if you haven't noticed, this story may sound very familiar to you if you are a movie buff and you're wondering why. It is because of the fact that this case inspired the very famous book and movie from Stephen King called The Green Mile. George Stenney was depicted by John Coffey. As you know, this is John Coffey was not a young 14-year-old boy because, of course, the movie had some minor alterations. This is Stephen King here. I mean, he's a very creative mind. so. John Coffey is a grown, very big, masculine man that naturally puts fear in the hearts of these white men that have to execute him. And yet he has the kindness and the innocence of a child. So that just gives you a little bit of an idea how Stephen King created the character to portray George Stenney. And I have to say that is remarkable that he saw in the story such strength from this 14-year-old boy that he made him into this big, strong man. I don't remember the actor that portrayed John Coffey, but if you want to know for yourself, if you've never seen the movie and you are just now knowing that the story that I am telling you now, it is. A muse for Stephen King's novel and movie, I would encourage you to watch The Green Mile now that you know the story that ties to how this movie and novel was created. Now, of course, I could stop here, but there's actually a bittersweet yet victorious ending to this, okay? So if you can just stick around, I know that this was a very tough conversation to have. Well, not a conversation, even though I like feeling like this is more of a conversation type of thing. When I give stories to you guys, I have more to give you. So if you just hold on, I actually have more to give you about this because 70 years later, more things unfold about this case. So just... I'll come right back with all of that information right after these messages. Hey, (laughs) you guys, I know that you haven't heard anything yet with me in these promos supporting other people or businesses, but... I'm gonna do one now and why not talk about bold expressions it is a podcast and he talks about everything that you can think of and he talks about you guessed it politics as well but not only that but he features me in a few of them so yay <laughs> But I implore you guys, if you have an opportunity, just, you know, take a couple of listens. Uh, There are some that i'm on if you want to listen to some of those because i'm probably even more kooky on his uh, platform than mine feel free to go to my instagram and you'll see some of his reels and i'll definitely put his um tag in there so you can see his instagram and then that way you can see some of the stuff that he has with his podcast and not only that but his podcast is aired on youtube it's aired on YouTube, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find your podcast. It's on about maybe six, if not more platforms, because you know, people with big leap energy, they probably have a lot, but go take a listen, enjoy yourself. All right. If you would like to read more about George Stinney Jr. and his case, as well as the developments that occurred in January 2014 that helped exonerate George Stinney, feel free to look at the Washington Post article, the articles that were published by wikipedia as well as the article from the la times that discusses it the best way that i looked it up i just looked up by saying george Stinney. but now that you know the publications that are used you can definitely type in the article name la times well you can use the publication name la times george Stinney jr, jr. and i'm pretty sure that his that the article will pop up that same way that you can look it up for Wikipedia as well as for the Washington Post. I hope that this helps. Happy reading. Okay, you guys, we are back. And as sad as this story is, I do have a bittersweet but still positive ending to this. Um, So if you remember Annie, which I believe her name is Amy. These articles, like one says Annie, one says Amy, it's it's difficult. Just like one says that the parents were found one says that the parents were. But this one comes from the Los Angeles Times. So it says that Ro, uh, Amy was her name. And I'll get back to that in a second. But this particular portion, this came from Wikipedia again, and it was talking about how this came back up after 70 years since George Stinney's trial. So in 2004, an historian named George Freerson, I think that's the way that you would pronounce his last name. How about I call the historian George and then call George Stinny Stinny? OK. OK. So the historian George, a lot of people, including NWSCP, so many people were so they still were rattled by this case. So this historian was was basically doing research upon. This case. He's from the area. I want to say it's called Alkaloo in South Carolina, which that's where all of this happened. So he started researching the history of this case, and his research started getting a lot of attention, including legal attention. So there were a few lawyers, and I believe that their names were Steve McKinney, Matt Burgee, Ray Brown, James Moon. Basically, he had legal assistance in helping continue his research, like countless hours of research and doing more work with historical uh, historical documents to look into this case. And in their research, they found witnesses and evidence to assist in basically exonerating George. The Civil Rights and Restorative Justice Project in the Northeastern University School of Law, they helped assist and even filed an amicus brief. Now, if you don't know what an amicus brief is, in so many terms, it's just a point, And this is basically that group. But they, it, in definition, it says someone. But, you know, I, again, this is a group. It says that it's not a party to a case. They're not related to the case whatsoever, but they want to assist a court by offering information, their expertise, or their insight in bearing on the issues in the case. The, de- the decision to whether to consider the amicus brief lies within the discretion of the court, but that's pretty much what happens. So they offer their, their information, their insight, and all of that to basically help deliberate on if this should be uh, true, like if it should go any further in court. So in this happening, this amicus brief, as it's being performed, McKinney, well, McKinsey, as well as other lawyers, they bring up their statements, giving the evidence of witnesses and evidence, including an affidavit from uh, Pastor Reverend Francis Batson. All of this evidence pushes more s- on to the fact that George was unlawfully convicted. And let me go back on Amy Ruffner because the witnesses that they used to support the amicus brief included his sister. And this all happened in 2014. So again, his sister was still living. And at that point in time, she was eight years old in 1944, but she testified at the court. And this is coming from the Los Angeles Times. She testified in the court that January And said that there were two little white girls that approached them, including her other black siblings. And they asked where to find the best May pops. And it's the fruit of a purple passion flower. That's what she explained. Once they asked where to find this particular fruit, they left and went about their business. And the children went about their business. So the next day. After they pointed the girl like they're not they no longer seen those girls anymore from the time that they saw them. The next thing you know, the next day, George got arrested. Um, This is still to be said that this is his sister still testifying. She said the next day, George was arrested and charged with murdering Betty and Mary Emma Thames. So Betty June Benneker and Mary Emma Thames. They were found in a ditch with their skulls crushed. And at the trial of investigators, they testified that the girls were beaten with twelve-inch drift pin and a piece of metal that hitches railroad cars together. So that checks out. Per my other articles, that they were used with spikes from the railroad. That uh, how they were beaten. And using the all-white jury, that's how the youngest defendant was executed in the United States in the twentieth century. So going back to what I was saying, they used that. Witness, they used that test of uh, that, that test of uh, testimony from his sister to you know say that well, it's by his siblings, so this means that his brother was probably included as well. I'm using different articles, so excuse me if you if I sound a little scattered. So at that time, they were saying that George was with them at the time of the murder. So again, if they're if he's with his siblings and they're doing what they're doing, how was he? how was he found as the murderer for these girls? Then they had the affidavit from the pastor that I discussed earlier. And he said that he found the girls and pulled them from the Waterfield ditch. And he said that there wasn't much blood in or around the ditch, suggesting that they may have been killed elsewhere and moved. Not only that, but in their historical documents, they also found a uh, a place where a prisoner at the time Wilford Johnny Hunter he stated that in his encounter with Stinney in prison Stinney testified that he was made to confess and he still had maintained his innocence so all of this including probably other pieces of evidence that the in the that's within the amicus brief all of this was presented and rather than approving for a new trial by December 17th 2014 in circuit court the judge her name Carmen Mullen she vacated Stinney's conviction which basically in so many words she exonerated George Stinney she ruled that he had not received a fair trial and he was not effectively defended by the 6th amendment with his 6th ex- amendment rights being violated She explained basically in so many words um, about how he wasn't given fair trial, especially being that he was a child. um, And if you want to know more the 6th amendment is basically saying that he is guaranteed he should have been guaranteed the rights to uh, of a criminal defendant including the right to a public trial without unnecessary delay and he should have had the right to a lawyer he should have had the right to an impartial jury and the right to know who the accusers are and the nature of the charges and the evidence that was against him he had none of those he his 6th amendment right was, was violated. That's what she was, in so many words, that's what she was saying. All of those items, all of those elements to support whether he was supposed to be convicted or not, he was not provided any of those things. Therefore, he was not given a fair trial. Mullen also stated that his attorney failed to call exculpating witnesses or to even preserve his right to appeal, which, again, this was not this was a tax commissioner. I didn't hear anything about him having any legal background. And he didn't even so much as appeal for George Steny in court. So Mullen continued, and she noted that Steny may well have committed this crime with reverence to the legal process. She said that no one can justify a 14-year-old charge tried, convicted, and executed in in some 80 days, concluding that in essence, not much was done for this child when his life was laying in the balance. Now that came from Wikipedia. Now, with all of that being said, with the judge exonerating George Stinney, let's go to the family that had to hear George being exonerated. Now, first off, before I go into the family that lost the two girls, there had been stated that the person that supposedly or allegedly killed the two girls, he confessed his actions on his deathbed. And I truly it makes me cringe when I hear stuff like that. When I hear that people in their well old age, they live their best life and let someone else die for their actions to clear their conscience before they go to their transition in glory, they decide to conv- they decide to confess that they did what they did wrong. This is another reason why I feel away about the death penalty, especially when some people still want to apply the death penalty to children. Yes, some people still would like to apply this to children and prison children. We're not even going to go into that. Okay. Come back melodic I am. Okay. So yes, it is said in some in some articles, I believe that it was either in it wasn't in the Washington Post. I want to say that it is found in Wikipedia that the male that said that he allegedly He allegedly stated that he killed them. He confessed it on his deathbed. Now, again, coming back to the two girls that passed. They. And I I can't I can't even be truly upset with this, because, again, I'm pretty sure that they wanted to have justice and they felt like justice was served when it came down to someone being executed. They just wanted anybody to be executed for the death. So when it was done, and now to open it 70 years later, to open this case up and tell me that the person that we thought did it, he's exonerated. They. So anyway, yeah. The family was not really happy, basically, that the court ruled in George's favor. They said in that they acknowledged George Stenney's execution was very controversial for him to be as young as he was. But they never doubted his guilt. They they didn't they didn't change their feelings about him being guilty. So yes, we may feel a little way about this young 14-year-old boy being killed. We still know for a fact basically, we still feel in our heart of hearts that he was guilty basically in so many words. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what they that's what the two girls' family members stated. They say that Benneker's niece claimed that she and her family extensively researched the case, and they say that people who just read the articles in the newspaper don't know the truth. Just reading articles, um, I don't even know what to say to that because, again, this was a historian, <laughs> a whole historian with lawyers and attorneys looking at numerous historical documents and found witnesses and got more detail on how the girls were killed. Like they got so much information and we're going to say that you extensively did your research and just stated that people that looked at articles don't know the whole truth. Okay, I'm just going to continue on. Now the niece was still was still being, was still continuing on. And she said that in the early 1990s, now this is years later, again, that was 1940, 1944, so basically a little over 50 odd years later, a police officer that arrested Steny contacted her. And the police officer basically states to her don't ever believe that that boy didn't kill your aunt. So the family members contend that the claims of a deathbed confession from an individual saying that he that he murdered the girls that it, it never was substantiated. I and so yeah again as you can see this is a story I'm I'm done with the story but as you can see it was a very it's very bittersweet like George was exonerated yes but he was exonerated after his death, after he was executed for a crime that had little to no substantiate, uh, substantiative evidence to say that he did it. And because the police officers, and I'm not going to say that George did it, I'm not going to say who did it, because of course I wasn't even born, I wasn't even thought of at the time. But this also makes me think of other court hearings, other arrests that happen just to pin someone for the job to say that they have someone. And then there's little to no real investigation to say whether the person is guilty or not. But this was the life of a 14-year-old child. And now you have a family that still probably grieves the death of those two girls. And they have to have that wound open all over again for you to tell me that the person that you told me, that you guys conditioned me to believe, killed them. Now you want me to accept that he didn't do it either? So it's so many people that are affected by this. You have the family members that are affected by this. Mind you, I don't know if they are more progressive than the mindset of the Jim Crow era that happened around their aunts and well the two girls that are their family members time but with that in my mind I, it makes me think I don't I don't know if um I don't know if that means that they would even consider or and and I don't know if they should even feel sorry about it cuz at the end of the day they weren't I can't say that they were the ones but that system the system at that time is just Anywho, I feel so sorry for the unjust death of George Stinney. I am happy that he was exonerated. Of course, I hate that it took 70 years for his exoneration. I cannot even wrap my mind around the fact that this 14-year-old boy was killed the way that he was killed, let alone the two girls. Because let's not forget, those two girls were savagely beaten. So nobody had a just death that day. Not that day. Not the day of those girls' death. Like, so many people were affected by one individual that's still a question mark. And racial injustice and hate helped make it grow even more than what was necessary. Anyways, that's the story. Again, I would encourage you if you haven't already, I would definitely watch the movie The Green Mile. There are some bright moments, and of course there are sad moments, but at least you'll get a little bit of the essence of what Stephen King felt of the story about George Sidney Jr. I am relieved that there were people that lived to see the day that George Sidney was exonerated and that were able to speak on behalf. Of George Stinney to help in the amicus brief to support why there should have been, at least there should have been a better trial to support what happened, to either truly convict him justly or to release him. And I'm just sorry for that family because that family has been conditioned to believe that George Stinney did it when in actuality there was little to no effort done by the police to support what happened to George Stinney. It's just that's my, that's my spiel on it, but you know how I can go, y'all, so I'm gonna stop while I can stop. (laughs) Okay, you guys, this is it for me. That's the story. I hope that I did the story justice. I mean, George Stenney, I hope that I hope that his soul found peace. I hope that it finds peace, especially with now him being exonerated, as bittersweet as that may be, because he was wrongly convicted. And for the girls, Mary Emma Thames, Betty June Vineker, I pray for their souls, too, because they were all children, all three of them, just children. Not just them, but I'm also praying that the families that were affected, George Stenny's family, Mary Emma Thames' family, Betty June Vineker's family, I hope that they can all find peace beyond understanding because, to be honest, the actions of one murderer caused so much chaos between those families, let alone the racial tension that probably was had from those times and even probably still remaining to this day because, let's be honest, that's that's a lot to unpack. That's a lot to even rehash 70 years later, 2014. But I digress. That uh, The research could probably continue. But as for me, Melodic, my story with George Stenny stops here. At least for now. <laughs> That's all there is. There isn't any more. This is Melodic Soapbox Off.